So if you could close the door in the back, that would be that'd be great. So this morning I want to explore a theme which I'm imagining that I'll continue with uh, next time. And it's a theme of two aspects of our practice and two ways of relating to the, to the fundamental goals of our practice. So I want to explore the theme of gradual awakening and sudden awakening or immediate awakening. I'll say a little bit about those two generally and then talk about each of them and give some experiential exercises related particularly to the second approach and invite us in the next week to explore both approaches. So the the gradual approach is related to the idea that we, it's the main, really the main approach taught at Spirit Rock, it's that we cultivate these different qualities of mindfulness and concentration and wisdom and generosity and the ethical precepts and so forth, and that this generally is a gradual training that moves us in the direction of awakening of being uh, fully enlightened, being like a Buddha. At least moves us in that direction. And the second model is that of sudden or immediate awakening, which says that, uh, that that model or that way of practicing gives us a way to access right in the moment, qualities of awakening or even potentially a fullness of awakening at least for uh, some moments. So the first approach works to cultivate the conditions and the causes which move one in a direction, generally in a good direction, towards, towards awakening and the second one tries to access, as it were, the goal, not in some future, some perhaps even unimaginable time, but right now. So the second approach emphasizes the quality of nowness and presence, and the first approach tends to emphasize the patient, gradual training that leads us towards developing awakened qualities. Potentially, they can be at odds with each other. We can focus on the gradual approach and forget about awakening. And we can also sometimes focus on the second approach. You know, I'm already free. Freedom is my nature. I don't need to practice. Why should I practice? I'm already free. And there can be misunderstandings there and people can talk a lot about freedom, not be so free, and not practice. It happens. You know, it, and so when one looks at different spiritual scenes, one can see that. 
And potentially, these two approaches can be brought together to each, as it were, be seen as having very important functions in developing us towards greater maturity. And I think what I'll suggest is that we can have aspects in our practice of both a gradual approach and a sudden approach, and they, as it were, can complement each other very, very nicely. So that's what I'm going to explore and give some practices that will help us to use both approaches in the next week. Okay. So. So in the, in the first model, that of a gradual training, a gradual awakening, it's re- as I mentioned, it's really the predominant model that we use at Spirit Rock. We develop in certain ways. We um, cultivate mindfulness. We cultivate um, stability of mind. We connect with awareness. We start to see all the various patterns of our experience that take us away from clear seeing, that take us away from um, joy and happiness, and that are connected with suffering. A large part of our practice is studying with patient repetition the patterns of our own cages. What we do a lot of the time. We look, you know, and some of you may have had some of those moments with family at Thanksgiving of difficulty or suffering or seeing old patterns. And we, in our practice, we give a lot of emphasis to continually, patiently looking at the patterns that bind us. You know, specifically, we learn how to be more skillfully with just a whole range of challenging states. We learn how to be more skillful with anger, with frustration, with fear, with um, confusion, with various kinds of reactivity. We study our very personal patterns of reactivity. We learn what tends to make us um, Reactive could be someone treats you unfairly, someone someone treats you without respect, whatever it might be, and we look we look at our we look at the patterns of our reactivity. We do that over and over again. We look at the judgmental mind. We look at the mind that thinks, if only I get this, I will be happy. We study these over and over again. And most of the talks that you will hear at Spirit Rock, most of the talks on Wednesdays, have to do with some aspects of looking at these challenging states, developing stability of mind, concentration, mindfulness, so we can actually study ourselves, developing some of the foundations that help us to do this. We, we renewed the ethical precepts between 8 and 9, we focus on that. What really helps us to practice? Well, it really helps to live a life of integrity. And so we'll focus on that. We'll show, show or point to how those really 
<clears throat> support the conditions for opening up further. We'll look at the patterns of suffering. On the other hand, we'll develop uh, beautiful and positive qualities. We'll develop mindfulness. We cultivate loving-kindness and joy. We suggest how to develop in wisdom, how to um, see more clearly the way we construct a self, the way self-image tends to obscure our experience, the way that uh, we don't see um, impermanence very, very clearly, the way that we get caught up and confused and suffer. And we do this with uh, uh, great detail. It's a very clear map. And together, all of that comes, comes to suggest a path of practice. We could say it's a path of gradual awakening. And it's a beautiful path and a beautiful practice, and it works, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's quite amazing. Who would have thought that there'd be something like this offered that is very clear, very practical, uh, in the Dhammapada, it said, this is the path for purifying one's vision. There is no other. So the notion of a path also suggests that kind of gradual quality. You know, the path is a metaphor that suggests that we go from one place to another. We go from relative, um, relative in embedding in suffering towards freedom. We walk this path. You know, and what a path is actually, it's a place that's been cleared so we can actually walk. We have these, so we've had, we need first the clearing of the path and then we can walk the path. You know, so the clearing of the path is all these ways that we actually can move forward and have this gradual path. Another, another passage um, in the classical text really suggests, and there are a lot of texts which suggest this kind of gradual process. Here is one um, from the teachings of the Buddha. It is possible to describe a gradual training, a gradual practice, gradual progress in the Dhamma and the discipline. Just as a clever horse trainer obtains a fine thoroughbred colt, he first makes him get used to wearing the bit and afterwards trains him further. So when the Buddha obtains a person to be tamed, he first disciplines him thus. And he goes through various kinds of teachings about the ethical guidelines, um, developing mindfulness, working with the hindrances, and so forth. Another metaphor that's found, and I, I looked up a number of texts in this way, and this is a text that describes um, how our training, our gradual training, ultimately leads to awakening. And it's something like, in this text, um, proceeding along the ocean bottom gradually, to where it gradually deepens. And then at some point, the continental shelf just goes boom, way down to the depths. And so the Buddha likens the relationship between gradual progress and awakening to the way the coast of India 
the, the waters in the co off the coast of India are. So here's what he says. Just as the ocean has a gradual shelf, a gradual slope, a gradual inclination, with a sharp drop-off only after a long stretch. <laughs> in the same way, this dhamma, dhamma and discipline has a gradual training, a gradual performance, a gradual progression, with penetration into deep insight only after a long stretch. So that's, that's the kind of the gradual model that we have. That it, another phrase that's used a lot is that it inclines and slopes towards freedom. We cultivate all these qualities, we come on Wednesdays, we go to retreats, we practice daily, and we move towards, um, we move towards freedom, we move towards um, awakening, we move towards what's called Nibbana. Just as the river Ganges slants, slopes, and inclines towards the east, so too a practitioner who develops and cultivates these abilities slants, slopes, and inclines towards Nibbana. And in this kind of gradual model, effort's quite important. We're really invited, it's really up to us to practice, right? It's not something guaranteed. We have to put out the effort. Um, the effort to attend teachings, the eff especially the effort just to be aware, to be mindful, to be cultivating these qualities. As we do that, we develop in mindfulness, in ethical grounding, and so forth. So, um, what are the what are the kind of the advantages and disadvantages of this model? One of them, the, the advantage, some of the advantages are we get a very clear sense of what, the, uh, of what holds us back from awakening. We get a very clear analysis of the roots of suffering. And we have very clear analyses of the kinds of states of mind, states of heart, states of body that are obstructions to seeing clearly. So there's a very, very clear map, and there are very, very clear practices that help us develop. And this is why you come, I imagine. This is why we keep on coming, the why we do retreats. And it really lets us develop these very important qualities that help us, help us to move. So what are some of the possible challenges of this model? What are, what are some of the pitfalls that, that are possible? One is that we may have a sense of awakening as being way, way in the future. You know, I practice and awakening may not be a very real feeling, right? I may do this on faith. I may just do this because it's helping my life a little bit. And we may not have the sense of awakening be a strong motivation for ourselves, it may feel like that's for other people, right? That awakening is for other people. I'm just here to improve, you know, be a better person, you know, to um, um, just see some ability to be more peaceful, to relax, whatever. And we may lose sight of the depth dimensions of this path. That's possible. That happens sometimes to all of us at certain points in our practice. 
So we'll be, we'll be pointing to this um, second approach as something that can complement our practice and point to ways if, we're, um, if we have some of these issues in our practice, we can develop that second kind of practice can help in those ways. And vice versa, if we have some of the challenges of the second path, maybe that we don't have a clear enough map, we don't practice enough, and so forth. We don't really uh, develop enough. So we may have this sense of um, practice being very much in the future. And I think this is quite strong for many of us, including people who have been practicing a long time. We have a sense of that we uh, patiently practice, and maybe sometime down the road there'll be fireworks in the mind, and we'll have this kind of um, we'll have this kind of electric show of enlightenment. The lights will come on, you know, the angels will come down, <coughs> choirs will start, and there will be some kind of um, some kind of awakening, you know maybe sometime in the future, you know, and maybe for some of us, maybe it may, maybe some, may look something like, I don't know, like um, psychedelic experience or something. You know, some, some people may have memories that might look like, you know, some very intense, powerful experience where everything opens up, the lights come on, and so forth. So, but who knows? We don't know, it, we don't know what it looks like. So that's, that's, that's a danger. Um, and so we may, that's really, I think, the main danger is that there may be some kind of a split with, with the goal of the practice, the kind of the deep goal. We may lose the depth dimensions of the practice and be satisfied with some of the relative benefits of the practice, something to look at for each of us. Again, I think this is something that comes up for almost all <coughs> practitioners. And we, when we ask the question, what really is the deep goal or the ultimate goal? Or what, what are the depth dimensions of this practice? I can see some of the benefits in my everyday life, but what are, where are we really going with this? And how do I relate to that? Can I relate to the notion of enlightenment or awakening? Or is that, <coughs> is that, is that kind of irrelevant to the way I look at practice? Interesting question, right? Because it's clear that in the classical tradition, this is right at the center. The Buddha didn't say, practice and you'll be able to relax better in your daily life. He didn't say, do mindfulness and you'll be able to be a little more peaceful with your boss. It was very, very stark. He said, practice because I want to make available the possibility of this very profound awakening, right? So the danger of the gradual approach is that that sort of recedes into some unknown future. So there's also the second approach, which, which um, we can call a path of sudden awakening or immediate awakening. And this is, I think, emphasized in a number of traditions. It's emphasized in the classical tradition. Those of you who've done chanting uh, at 
retreats, especially our longer retreats, have, may have sometimes chanted words that really relate to this quality of immediacy. There's a, there's a, there's a, a phrase that's uh, sanditiko is, is often chanted. Their, their phrase is sanditiko akaliko. This is uh, chants that are done actually in uh, Buddhist monasteries in um, South, Southeast Asia every day. And it refers to the accessible quality of enlightenment, not something far away. Literally, those words would be translated, sanditiko, apparent here and now, directly visible. Akaliko, timeless or immediate, outside of time. And so the, the second approach, a little bit differently, is to suggest that the quality of awakening is not something produced by our effort, but rather it's an inherent quality of our being. That more has to be uncovered than produced. It's actually very good news, incredibly optimistic view of human nature, right? It's basically saying that this quality of awakening is there in all of us, and this is why later Buddhist traditions use the phrase Buddha nature. That all of us have this nature. It's just very subtle and hard to access. Right? And especially it's covered over by our confusion. It's covered over by all the factors which lead to suffering. But that actually there's a quality which is there. In the early text there, is also, there also are passages where it's said that we all have mind qualities of luminous joy. Isn't that, good? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> we all have these qualities of luminous joy. Even people who commit evil deeds have this in their nature. But it gets covered over and obscured. And practice helps bring that out. So there's the qualities of luminosity. In those texts, that's actually connected with metta and with love. There are these deep qualities. And later Buddhist traditions talk about Buddha nature and say that we have these qualities of awakening are so close, but they're covered over and obscured by our minds, by the ordinary workings of our minds. And so how the question is, how can we access that, that awakening. There's another text where it basically says, when there's not clinging and grasping and fixation in the mind, the luminosity appears. That luminosity and radiance and joy. We may, I, th- I think we all have certain moments where we experience that. It may be that we experience that in a moment of profound love and connection. We may experience that luminosity and that joy. And what is the task of the, this path is to have that appear more and more and gradually get stabilized so it's our ordinary mind. 
There's a passage I remember from the poet Gary Snyder where he, where he says that the essence of practice is to go over and over again to touch the mind and heart of luminous love and touch it enough so it gradually gets stabilized and brought back into our everyday lives. And so we do that in a gradual way. We cultivate these other qualities. But it's also possible, it's said in, in, in these traditions, to touch that wake awake quality in a direct way right now. And there are practices which can help do that. We see this one other passage. When, when, when greed, hatred, and delusion have been abandoned, one neither plans for one's own harm, nor for the harm of others, nor for the harm of both. And one does not experience suffering. In this way, Nibbana, or awakening, is directly visible, immediate, inviting one to come and see, worthy of application to be personally experienced by the wise. Interesting. So how do, we, how do we access that? This is talked about in the teachings of the Buddha. It's also very much talked about in terms, uh, in, in later traditions. Some of you may have practiced uh, Zen, where it's a, it's a major theme in Zen that awakening is right present. There's a passage from uh, Dogen, who's, one, who's probably the fundamental teacher for the San Francisco Zen Center, 13th century. Uh, Japanese. This is what he says. There they talk about one's original self or original nature. When you first seek Dharma, you imagine you are far away from its environs. At the moment when Dharma is correctly transmitted, you are immediately your original self. And in some of the Tibetan traditions, it's talked about again as accessing, accessing uh, Buddha nature, accessing one's original nature. And uh, maybe I'll read one passage from the um, Tibetan tradition. This is from the traditions of uh, Dzogchen and Mahamudra, which are sometimes taught here with visiting uh, Tibetan teachers. Buddha nature is free of the three times of past, present, and future, while our mind is under the power of the three times. Wakeful knowing, which is their way of talking about this immediate awake quality. Wakeful knowing is free of the three times. The three times involve fixating, thinking, and thinking. Wakeful knowing is free of fixation and thinking. It's a kind of awake quality. So how do we access that? How do we access that in our daily lives? How do we really access awake qualities? Because I think that our practice at its best will combine this gradual approach, which is being mindful, developing these qualities. But there also may be ways to come back to this very awake quality that we have. You know? So sometimes in Zen, they'll do things like you know, startle you. And actually, in some traditions, we can find this very awake quality, a moment after we've been startled. 
It's actually used in some traditions to point to the awake quality, this inherent nature of awareness. That's one way. So there are multiple methods in these different traditions. And I, I, what I want to suggest, I want to, I'm, in a moment I'll do two practices which in a way point in this direction. I think they're not, I'm not promising that in a few moments you'll have, become, you'll have experiences of awakening and enlightenment. That's, we will see. We will see what happens. But there are ways, there are ways of, um, maybe more practically, there are ways that we can come back to center many times during the day, that we can come back to an awake feeling or an, a relatively awake feeling. And I think each of us may do this in a different way. I was thinking that for some of us, um, we may feel that awake quality when we're really in our hearts, when there's a sense of that loving kindness or radiant heart there. And we may know ways to go to that radiant heart quickly, right? Some of us may be able to do that. If you practice metta a lot, you can sometimes do that. You can, whatever's happening in the day, you can say, let me just do a few phrases of metta and come back to that radiant heart. Or there may be ways of getting there. For others of us, it may be to come to a very, you know, in the middle of the day, I'm off center. How do I come back to a really steady mindfulness? right away. How do I come back to center? For others of us, it might be a practice I often use is to come back to awareness of the body. And so what I want to suggest is that we, the importance of each of us of having some personal way during the day of coming back, we could say, to our center. Again, I'm not, I'm not equating coming back to one center with being fully awake. But I want to suggest some methods. So I'm going to give two practices right now, some further practices, okay? And we'll try these and see if they, see how they are with you. This first practice uses the body quite a bit. And this is a practice that we'll do. And... If you want to, with this practice, you don't have to stay seated. If you want to stand up or do whatever you want to do. Um, lie down, stand up, move a little bit, that's fine. Okay. Just, you don't have to, but I'm just saying. Okay. In this first practice, we will first get in touch with feeling more contracted. So I'd like to have you recall maybe something in the last 24 or 48 or 72 hours in which you felt stuck in some way, in which there was some suffering. It might have been caught with contracted thoughts, maybe caught in fearful thoughts or, or um, you know, thinking of bad outcomes or caught in some pattern of thinking or reaction might have been interpersonal, might have been just on your own. And I'd like you, just for a short while, to recall whatever led to that sense of contraction and let yourself feel contracted and let your body express that. So for me, sometimes when I'm, 
when I'm in a contracted place, my hands are tight, my chest caves in some, my spine isn't straight, I'm a little bit in a literally contracted place. So let your body go there, and I will take you out of this, don't worry. And let your body, you can just keep your eyes closed if you want. And just with your mindfulness, notice the qualities of this contracted place. Notice particular places in your body that express contraction. And you can use this from the point of view of mindfulness to see those as cues to let you know that you're contracted. So really tune in to all the ways that you know you're contracted. And now slowly, let your body move to what we might call a more empowered, more alive, more awake. Move to how does your being and your body express feeling deeply empowered and awake? Again, if you want to stand up, you can do that. Move your hands. Let your body shift into that sense of being, of having awakened qualities there. And again, notice the qualities in your body that let you know that there is awake, awakeness, or I'm using these somewhat interchangeably right now, empowered quality or very, very alive quality. Again, for me, it would be my spine is straight, my hands are very open, my chest is open. Notice if there are other qualities we may connect with being awake, such as being aware, being mindful, having one's heart open. And if you'd like to, uh, keep this uh, awake, alive, empowered state for the rest of your lives. <laughs> At least for the next few minutes. <laughs> so, but, and you can, we can come back to just being together. And so this is one practice that I use quite a bit to kind of come back to center, that it's to know, again, this is, this for me points in the direction of a kind of immediate coming back to center, 
and coming back to more awake quality. And what I particularly like is that it's grounded in the body. And there are ways of actually, sometimes if you're at a meeting or you're just somewhere, you can just move your body into the posture of being awake. What for you is relatively awake. And we'll have some, we'll have some physiological and neurological uh, results. I think this is why posture is so emphasized in so many traditions. In Zen, they actually say to sit in a certain way is to sit in an awake posture. And it's, I, I used to think that that was just, you know, about, you know, some rap that didn't really make sense about good posture or about some preferred posture. But I think it actually has a physiological and even neurological dimension to it, that actually the body in a certain state tends to move the energy flows in certain ways, there's certain qualities there. So I think I want to do one more practice, say a few more things, and then, and then open things up. So this is a related practice that also can be used to access a little more immediately our awake qualities. So I'd like you to sit quietly. This will be a little bit more of an inner experience. Sit quietly. And just get a sense of what's happening right now for you. And ask, are there any qualities that we might call awake qualities that are present? And among those, I might think of um, awareness, mindfulness, clarity of what's going on, maybe open-heartedness, faith, generosity, all of the different qualities that in terms of the gradual path that we try to cultivate. And just get a sense maybe of the one or two that are predominant now. They don't have to be 100%. They can just be on the sidelines. They can just be even 20% there. There can be all sorts of thoughts going on, and that's okay. But tune in to the awake quality touch it, and invite it to get bigger. And again, it doesn't matter what else is happening. It doesn't matter if there are a lot of other thoughts going on or even skepticism about this exercise or whatever's going on. Tune into that awake quality and let it grow. Let it get bigger in your experience.
So in a moment, I want to hear how that was. I just want to say a few more things um, to close. In some of the traditions, such as Zen or some of the Tibetan traditions, like um, uh, Zogchen, which is spelled D-Z-O-G-C-H-E-N, we have teachers like uh, Sony Rinpoche and uh, Mingyur Rinpoche, who have come to Spirit Rock usually every year, who teach these kind of practices. In those kind of approaches, there are methods for accessing a kind of an awake quality uh, not too differently from how we just did it. It's the methods are, are different. But the basic idea is one learns how to access relative or some kind of awake quality in oneself for a short time and does this many, many times during the day until it stabilizes more. You know, so it might be if you feel like that exercise of just going to an empowered or awake place in your body, well, doing it once for five minutes could be helpful. What happens if you would do it, if you just would go there during your day? I've worked with these kind of exercises. I remember one person who really was ripe for this. He just took this. We did it for about half an hour. We practiced with this. And something at that moment, he was, he was very aware of the tendency to go to uh, states of suffering. And whenever he found himself going into one of those states of suffering, which he had studied a lot, he knew very, very well, so he wasn't really suppressing it, he said, let me go to a more awake quality. And he found that he would actually kept on doing that, and he would spend a good part of his day f- feeling some of these qualities of awakening. And in the, in the um, Tibetan and Zen tradition, one would do very simple exercises but repeat them over and over again during the day. Over time, and it may take a lot of time, it will tend to stabilize. It will get more and more familiar. And this, is, this would be a way of having that more awake quality of how do we have that more? How do we come back? I'm lost. I've had a busy day. How do I come back to this quality of being more awake? Now, interestingly, the second approach really requires the first approach to be mature. And talking with some of the Tibetan teachers who develop these methods, they say that many of their Western students don't stabilize very well in this awake quality. One of the reasons is that they don't have the prior development. In the Tibetan tradition, one would do all this other practice, which is more like the gradual path, and then go for this awake quality. And many Westerners don't do that, but he said the perfect foundation for doing this practice is what you do at Spirit Rock. He said that at one point. He said that those practices of developing stability of mind and mindfulness and you know, further concentration and clarity about all the different mind states and skillful ways to skillful ways to come back when we're caught and so forth is a beautiful complement to this. Because the the downside of the second approach is that we wouldn't have the 
prerequisites for it to really to, to work for us. And we might have, we might, as is sometimes the case, um, be, be have, have this be more philosophical, you know. I'm really free. Freedom is in my nature. But we might not actually live that. And we say, I don't need to meditate. You have people, you have traditions where they say, you don't really need to meditate. You're already free. And so they don't meditate. And often they don't have the uh, basis for accessing this freedom and stabilizing there. So I think we have the potential to combine them, which is very, for me, very exciting. And what I'll invite (coughs) us to do if we have the interest is to both continue with the gradual practices, which are mindfulness every day, being as ethical as possible, and so forth, but add some of these other practices, and they may be ones that we just did, or they may be your own practice. How do you come back to center? And try to do this as many times during the day as you can. How do you come back to center? It may be just say, let me remember my heart. Sylvia interprets loving-kindness practice as asking, where is my heart right now? And for some people, it could be to say, let me be with my open heart as much of the time as I can be. That might be a way to do it. It might be to let me be in this state of feeling my body and my nature empowered. It might be, let me be really as aware as possible. And we do this in these very small, modest ways that we can do in two minutes as best we can, but we do them a lot. And we do them in the flow of the day. And, of course, then we get into the question, it's, it's hard to remember to do this, right? You're at the sh- shop, you know, at the, whatever, the market or whatever. How do you remember to do this? That's, that's our challenge in part, you know. But to combine these ways of coming back to this very deep awake quality is a way uh, of complementing our, our typical, more gradual path. So I'll offer that, and we'll sit for a moment, and we can um, have a little bit of discussion. Oh, thank you kindly for your attention, and I hope this was helpful. This is the first time I've talked about this, and a um, little different twist, right? Any questions or comments, reflections, please? Um, when you were talking about the, the, uh, the way Buddha had talked about awakening as, the o- as in the ocean metaphor, yeah, yeah. I got this very frightened feeling yep. about going down the slope and then dropping off. Yep. And I've realized that, you know, 
that can be a, a hindrance to me. Yeah. Feeling that, or even the, the mountain thing, you know, you're going down a slope and, and you know, it can yeah. be scary. Yeah. So I wonder how you work with that kind of thing. There's a fear involved. With yeah, it, yeah. With not knowing. Yeah, so um, how would you answer that? Um, I guess um, it may just, I don't know, I'm thinking it may be a reflection of, of other fears. Yeah, yeah, it's and not maybe, yeah. And that working with fear maybe is something that, you know, is important. Right, right. You can really work with fear in the usual way. Um, fear of the drop-off of the ocean shelf, really no different than any other fear, fundamentally. And so you can work with the fear. It's, it might be, you know, uh, work with the fear in the same ways that we work with it, just if it comes up in a sitting right here. So we can work with it. So it's not so much to figure it out, but it's to just really be mindful of the fear, be with it in the body. Notice the, the mind stories. You know, where do you go with that? Notice them, study them. And typically, you know, Jack Kornfield has a very nice line, fear Uh, is an announcement that you're about to learn something important. <laughs> if you, uh, if you uh, stay with it. So, so there could, yeah, it could be fear. You know, we, we have a lot of fear of, of going outside of what's familiar, even if the familiar involves suffering. Right, so we often prefer known suffering over the unknown. And so, which, yeah. So we had one and then in the back, yeah, please. Um, so the, the clear light mind meditation, is that, is that, um, in that, in that spirit of, a, of sudden awakening or, or cultivating that uh, quality of awakening or is that in the other? The clear light mind? Clear light, um, you know. Which, uh, which tradition is that in? Tell me about that practice. That's not one where you don't use that language here so much. Is it something you learned here? It's on a Jack Kornfeld guided meditation. Oh, okay. Equanimity, loving kindness, and clear mind. So your mind is like the sky. Oh, okay. I guess the Dalai Lama calls it clear white mind. Okay, so maybe more Tibetan based? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't do that particular practice, but my, 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 um, I'm aware of practices like it. And it, it, yeah, it would, I think that would be something like the sky in Tibetan practice is often used as a metaphor for the immense, open, empty qualities of our awareness. And so that would be a kind of practice, like resting in the sky-like nature of the mind would be one way of accessing, it would be fall in the second category. Yeah, that's, I think that's what you were thank you. That's getting. What trying to say. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, please. 
I just, um, first of all, I, I appreciate the, the talk and, and kind of like the overview of where it's all supposed to go. That's really helpful. Yeah. And um, I, I was just, I always wonder when people talk about, you know, awakening, being awakened, you know, you guys are the folks who've done it for all these years. Have you ever met someone like that or have you had experiences like that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because we always talk about, like, you're going to get there. I just wonder, you know, you obviously know all the folks who've met one. That's a good question, yeah. Um, well, um, yeah, I've met people who seem uh, very, very awake. Uh, are they fully awake? Um, as much as we hear from people like the Dalai Lama, they certainly acknowledge imperfections or ways that they're stuck or caught. Uh, but they don't, you know, like the Dalai Lama, I remember, a great story. He says, well, you know, I came, I came from a part of Tibet where people are known to be irritable. <laughs> Not our stereotype, right? And he says, you know, when I was a teenager, I was, you know, even I was a teenager, I was a Dalai Lama, of course, but I was kind of irritable quite a bit of the time. And I've done a lot of practice. And now I sometimes get irritable, but it really doesn't last very long, right? So uh, we might look towards um, what awakening means in a very, very down-to-earth practical way. So they may have um, certain blips, but they're, they don't last that long. So the Dalai Lama says, well, I, I get in that way, but maybe, you know, it lasts just for a few minutes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, the practice really works, yeah, for sure. And uh, again, I don't always know, we don't always have intimate inner accounts of people who have gone very deeply. In fact, there, you know, traditionally there's a certain amount of modesty that's in the tradition. I think it's also an Asian tradition quite a bit. So, it's very, you know, so I've read autobiographies of great teachers wanting to hear the complete open story and they, they tend to be modest and not, not to give the kind of uh, um, very direct account of that I would like to hear. But, but there are people who seem profoundly warm and kind, and it seems fairly stable. So are there people who are completely, completely enlightened? It's kind of speculative to know. Yeah. Does, that, does that help a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I get tones out of it. Yeah. So what you, what you can do is, um, what I was encouraging with those two exercises is to find kind of very ordinary ways. And that's what, you know, like your name with the sky practices is? Gabriella. That Gabriella uh, was mentioning a practice which is like to really have one's mind like rest in the sky, something like that. Which is, uh, some of the practices that are used with the second approach are very, very ordinary. And, and yet they take one somewhere. And the, one of the keys is to do them a lot. To do these very ordinary, simple practices, which one can do in two or three minutes, to do them a lot. Like in the, um, some of the Tibetan traditions that I have studied, uh, Dzogchen and Mahamudra, one would do these practices ideally you know, during the day, you might do them a hundred times a day. 
you know, something, you know, if you could, if you can remember. And I know um, Guy Armstrong, who teaches here, was doing these practices like this, and he, he got like a golf counter or something that, that uh, he would just click, you know, try to get to 100 or 200 a day. You know, but, but we can take these very ordinary experiences. It could be being with the sky. I was giving ones that are actually uh, not even, that don't even come from one of these traditions. Uh, but just like the state of being empowered or suggesting it could come from being with one's open heart, which I think some of us can, if we, get, if we do a lot of the practice, we can access that when we call upon it, at least for a while for five seconds or ten seconds, right, can access it. Or one of the expressions that's interesting of, uh, you know, something like the sky-like nature is just to tune into the quality of contentment, of not needing anything, to really invoke contentment. And a kind of, one of the metaphors that we might use is like Achan Sumedho, who sometimes teaches here, he talks about resting in awareness. Just like resting with your awareness or rest with your being. Just have this restful, content quality. And again, it's not, so, it's not like we do it and we expect it to be there for an hour or two. You do it for, you invite it to be there for a minute or two, and then five minutes later, if you wish, you repeat it. You know, so we want to find these very ordinary ways that somehow take us to this more open place, which might have the radiant heart, it might have awareness, it might have uh, you know, a sense of clarity, we might have a sense of faith, whatever it might be. And again, I think some of us, probably most of us, have ways that we do that. You know, so contentment might be... Um, uh, Buddha Dasa, one of the great teachers of Thailand, said contentment is very close to Nibbana because we're present and there's not wanting. And there's not wanting and there's not grasping. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting state. And so, uh, so I, hope, I hope some of these... Lo- so it's inviting you to take some of those exercises or find yours and just see if you can do it a lot and see if that helps your practice. Uh, yeah, please. Maybe the last one. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I'm what I'm hearing um, on a continual basis, and I'm just checking in with you about it, is that if we could just, if I can just be in the moment, then I will. I invite the open heart. I mm-hmm. invite yeah. the quality of contentment. Yeah. If I can just be the beginner. Yeah. Keep bringing myself back to at least for me that's where I find my greatest sense of freedom. That's that's right. This is that's very nicely said. Remind me of your name? Julia. Julia that um, what the second approach is is in having a sense of um, kind of an immediate freedom at least for a short time. The sense of resting and freedom that as we tune into that more, it can pervade our lives more. And of course, that doesn't mean that we don't have difficult things happen where we don't feel free at all. You know, and then we use the first kind of practice, right? That's the nice thing of having both of these tools in a way. Um, and, and the first approach does you know, have us practice loving kindness and 
develop these qualities. The second approach is, is a little bit more present-centered and letting this quality be there. And, ha and it is connected with more of a sense. Freedom is of the essence of awakening. And that's what's being invited. And it's, um, it's having a taste. It's having a taste that increasingly we keep on uh, experiencing more, more and more. And so just to do it in a very modest way, but the, the key in most of the traditions I know where something like this approach is done is to do it, not expect some big thing from just doing it once, but do it a lot, a lot of times and keep repeating it and until it, it's kind of more like that Gary Snyder quote. It's more the mind and the heart that we, that we live in. And it's a very, it's a very um, so it's adaptable to uh, daily life in that way. Okay, how many of you would like to at least give this an experiment in the next week? Because um, this was a little bit experimental today to bring this in and to try to give some suggestions of the second mode. And, and so my suggestion is, uh, or my um, invitation is, to have, a, uh, have this, the first gradual approach is probably done more or less like most of us were doing it. It's to have the, the regular sitting whatever else we do, the study, the, <clears throat> the um, just bringing of the practice as best we can uh, into our daily lives. And the second approach is to use these, these moments that we come back in a present-centered way to a more awake, empowered, alive quality. And I'm inviting that to be done in a way which works for you. And I gave, we gave maybe five or six different examples of ways to do it. That's the invitation. And I'll be very interested to see um, how it is. Can I just very quickly? Yeah. Um, um, I heard a, uh, a CD where Sophmi Rinpoche was, was taking the whole group and having everybody breathe and then just totally release and then be there. Mm -hmm. And that was—it's it, it, just another. It's another method, or you could have someone—you could have someone come up and and scare you, <laughs> come up behind you and go boo. <laughs> boo is a spiritual technique. Um, it would be to, um, and then notice your awareness in a split second after you've been scared. That's, that's actually a technique, something like that. It's, uh, so that's a that, there are multiple techniques, and you tune into just how that is. So let's just sit to close for 30 seconds for a minute. <clears throat> 